Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Hometown Glory. I'm Charlie and you're listening to a special year-end episode with the whole HG team. We've got Ash, Billy, Rosa and Tom and we're going to sit back with a quality street and after eights while we run through our Spurs and culture highlights of the roller coaster year that was 2021. Now, it feels like a good time to take stock of where we all are with Spurs. We were chatting earlier and found ourselves shocked to remember that Marine in the Cup happened this year. So much has happened, it's actually a bit ridiculous. We've obviously had four different people coach our men's first team. We've had Gareth Bale in a purple patch then disappear from our lives once again. Joe Hart played for Spurs. We joined the Super League. We lost the cup final. We had fans finally back in the stadiums. We had the Kane saga. We entered and got booted out of a ridiculous new European competition. So, and we're kind of harking back to one of our Spurs seven questions for guests here. But where are we all with Spurs right now, team? Um, Rosa, I'm going to throw to you first. Where are you with Spurs right now? I feel pretty good, actually. I feel like now's the perfect time to sort of <laughs> end the year, really, isn't it? I think the Liverpool game just, it feels like we've really turned a corner, I would say. I just, I haven't seen us play that well, probably since, or at least with that same sort of like energy and commitment. I think almost since like late sort of what not late kind of mid Pochettino maybe I don't know it just it was such a great performance and just such commitment from everybody on the pitch and actual like up the pitch quick passing two goals including one from you know our forgotten man Harry Kane um, it just feels like maybe we're back and on top of all of that, just driving all other fans crazy. So, which which we definitely haven't seen since about 2017. So the only way, you know, I just, I think we're back. I think we're back. So it feels, it feels pretty good right now. End the season now, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> that is a nice one to start with. Um, for various reasons, Ash, you were the only one in the stadium uh, for the Liverpool game. 
did it feel very much that Spurs were back? Uh, it felt like the atmosphere was something else. Yeah, the atmosphere was amazing. Yeah, I'm just with Rosa. I, I think like Spurs are back. Every other fan's furious. Um, I love it. I'm just really happy. Football was great. Yeah, like I just want us to play again. And I haven't felt like that in a really long time. More Spurs, please. Yeah, I can't remember feeling like more Spurs. I, I guess because we've, you know, we had the COVID stuff as well. So we've been um, denied Tottenham Hotspur for a little bit. Billy, similarly excited? I think this is the best I've felt about Tottenham for a long, a long time. Um, I think the thing which kind of seals it for me is that Arsenal and Liverpool fans are really annoyed about us again. Um, as Rose was just saying, it's been a long time. We've been, we've been like so sort of nothing that we've kind of just been like skating by without sort of even getting the mention in rival fans and our, at our best under Pochettino, like Liverpool fans absolutely hated us and vice versa. And we've become so far away from them. Um, and they've risen while we've continued to fall. That It's nice to be really annoying them again. And I think that's like a testament to how far we're going to come under Conte. Like he seemed to have made us relevant again already. And you can tell that we're relevant because Arsenal fans are getting annoyed at all the decisions that are going away. Um, Liverpool fans are obviously pissed off with the whole England captain Harry Kane thing. Um, so it's nice to feel relevant again. It's been such a weird sort of period over like last couple of years with like Jose, uh, Nuno, it's all kind of rolled into one. No fans being there, the Super League. I felt so disconnected from Tottenham. Um, but now I feel like I'm really back there again. I feel like every game really matters. I want to go to every game. I want to watch every game. And I do have to attribute all of that to Antonio Conte, who I think has just given us a massive rocket, which we have needed so badly. Tom, are you, um, you in the same boat? Yeah, definitely. We're obviously all excited because we're recording this so soon after Liverpool. And I think everyone said we're annoying rival fans. I'm enjoying us uh, annoying rival managers as well because I love a clock meltdown. He's such a prat on the uh, on the sidelines, um, thinking that like all the kind of histrionics, thinking that everything should go his way and he annoys other managers. I think he had a row with Arteta recently and then his kind of pissy moan to the ref that why, why don't you like me? I think he said something like that or why are you the only one who doesn't like me? Anyway, I enjoyed all of that. And I really think we're starting to look like a Conte team. We're looking coached. There's that sort of hint of shithousery. We're, we're defending really well we're starting uh, to look quite tough, tough to beat. Um, so yeah, more, more of the same, more of what we saw in the Liverpool game would be amazing. And I think another thing that sealed it for me as well, that we are back is we seem to be the only club that can annoy people by getting COVID. Like we seem to have angered like journalists, managers, other clubs. Like we actually are in the middle of a pandemic, but for some reason we seem to be like the, the villains in all of this just by our players simply getting COVID. So I think it's a good sign that Tottenham are back and they're pissing everyone off. So I think my main takeaway from just on Conte, we're all buzzing over Conte. Like the main takeaway from the Liverpool game for me was like, let him do whatever he wants in January from January 1st. Like just Levy just needs to hand him, put him in charge. I suppose um, it's an interesting crossroads because there are a lot of players. um, I'm thinking Delhi. I'm thinking Winks, um, you know, people like that, that I think, you know, 72 hours ago before the Liverpool game, we were all pretty much, you know, readying the, the taxis to, to Stansted for them to jet off to Newcastle or wherever. Whereas now it suddenly feels like actually they they might become useful squad members again. I feel like the subject of Deli Ali is a useful point to throw over to Ash for his views on the uh, 
potential sort of Delhi naissance that we have been trying to will into life for about 16 and a half years, it feels like. But what, what, what do you reckon, Ash? Is it too late for him? Is there a place for him in this team? Can he be useful again? Mm, he can still go, in my opinion. <laughs> but like, it's really weird. Like, I thought he was good on Sunday. I don't think he was as good as people are saying. Whereas I thought, and I hate to say this because like I'm, I've been like a Winx hater for a very long time, but Winx was amazing. Like Winx was unbelievably good. But listen, if they come good, like I have to stand down. I think for me, it's such a good sign. Though I remember, you know, and obviously I live to regret these words, but you know, sort of peak Pochettino, I was properly like team no signings. We don't need them. He can make any player incredible. And like, obviously I lived to, you know, rue that day when we literally didn't make any signings for 18 months, but you didn't, you kind of didn't want to be sort of thinking about like shipping players out or upgrading or whatever, because it was so exciting to see what he could do with the players that he had. And we obviously do need signings clearly, like our squad's not big enough. Um, but it's exciting to see what Conte can do with the players that we have. And I'm not, you know, I don't want Levy to sort of sit back and, and do the same thing that he did with Poch, which was say, you know, this guy is a magician and he can do whatever with any player. So I'm not going to buy anybody. It's not that, but it just goes to show what a brilliant coach he is, that you are looking at Delhi again and thinking, oh my God, I almost, I almost see the player that I remember again. Or Winks, who, you know, that was a player who bossed the Real Madrid midfield and has not been seen since you know and and if we can get even a shadow of those guys back like what an achievement yeah and i just want to ex- exactly agree with rosa i hope we don't use this like sudden upturn in former players to now sit on our laurels in january and think right actually maybe we don't need to sign any players um i think what we actually need to do is learn from our mistakes in that regard and actually if this is what conte can do with some fairly average players who have been letting us down you know consistently for two or three years now imagine what he could do if we actually bought some quality in as well um, so yeah it does show he's an incredible coach which we all know because he is one of the top elite coaches in the world but now let's back him with some proper quality talent and you know the sky is the limit and I think so I think it's great that we're in this place where we can sort of look at these players and think actually we can see that improvement which we've wanted for a long time but now it's shown that we just need to back this guy because he can take us to the next level um, I'm going to do a quick fire round one position um, that you would strengthen first in the January window um, Ash, which position would you go for first for a new signing? Striker, definitely. Tom? Ash took striker, so I'll go right back because Doherty, like, we can't see Doherty again. Sorry, mate, go. So some competition for Royale. That, that feels essential to me too. Rosa? Yeah, I was, that's what I was going to say. Um, so maybe we'll just, like, move around the pitch. Um, I would like a creative midfielder, please. Billy, what's on your shopping list? Yeah, I think centre midfield as well. I think we've got a lot of midfield players that are kind of good at some things. We don't have one midfield player that's good at everything. Um, I think we need to put some serious money into like a really decent centre midfielder who will um, start for us in every game. So a, a decent midfielder to come into the eleven, I think. Um, and I mean, you know, I'm loath to use uh, cliches. Well, that's not true. I love using cliches. However, this is a cliche. Christian Romero will be like a new signing, I think, when he does finally come back. Hopefully, that, and I know that there are actually Argentina games towards the back end of uh, January, which uh, I just, I think there could be rioting if he does actually head off on those. Um, 
But suddenly the idea of a Romero, Dyer, Davies back three feels, you know, title winning. <laughs> suddenly on paper, that that trio has got everything you would want for a, you know, for a, a, a title storming back three. Um, so that's that's really exciting. And I think, yeah, maybe t- maybe t- two feels reasonable to expect in January. I mean, there's been such a lot of talk about various players. I think it would be a really huge underwhelming situation if we weren't bringing anyone anyone got anything they're a bit worried about going into the new year any obviously we're all buzzing off Conte the improvements in the players the opportunity to strengthen January is there anything uh sort of blighting anyone's horizons at all Tom anything worrying you well, I think we play Chelsea and Arsenal within a week in January so that's the my main worry and will be until that's out of the way. So, yeah, I like some tough some tough fixtures. At least we've got Morecambe in the FA Cup anyway, so that's um, uh, relatively a pretty easy one, hopefully. I mean, we can still fuck these things up. But, um, yeah, Arsenal and Chelsea in the new year is a, is a big worry. We've got to get some points off that. Yeah, mine's sort of linked in that um, I kind of figured out the other day that because of all the cancellations, we've barely had any away games under Conte at all. We've, by the time we'd have played Palace on Boxing Day, that'll be Leeds, Brentford, Norwich. Um, am I missing one? Liverpool, Palace. We've had five Premier League games in a row at home, which I wonder is some kind of mad record. Um, so I'm slightly worried that our sort of positive results could be slightly skewed by having played so many away games sorry so many home games perhaps but I think there are real tangible improvements that he's making with the team that will hopefully um, translate to away performances Um, Billy anything you're worried about yeah and for two reasons I'm worried that fans are going to get taken away again Um, Mm -hmm. firstly because I think and we said this at the time when he joined um, Conte has lifted the atmosphere of the stadium like, a lot um, and that's what he will continue to do like he G's up the crowd and just like the, the style of football that we play you know I've always thought that with good football comes good atmosphere so it's getting to a point where it's sort of spurring on the team and if we take that away again um, it's a huge factor that we're losing and also just like financially we know that we rely on that stadium income if they take that away again we're going to be sort of back to square one um, and I'm sure our you know our board will be having all kinds of worries about losing the stadium income so um, to have fans brought back and then taken away again would be really, really tough. Um, it looks like it could be on the horizon. So if it does happen, I hope it's only for like a minimal, you know, few weeks, but it's starting to look like it could happen again. Yeah, definitely. It's a concern. Um, Rosa? I mean, maybe it'll work in our favour if it ends up kind of coinciding with the time when we have to play all of those horrible away games. You never know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm a bit, I'm quite worried about fixture congestion. I feel like, a lot of this, though, really comes down to what we want, what we're kind of expecting from the season. You know, if you're talking about Chelsea and Arsenal, in my mind, we're not getting a result at Chelsea. The North London derby at home, we have to win. That's it. Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't think we... I don't expect a point at Chelsea. I, I, but I think we absolutely have to beat Arsenal at home. So it just... What are our sort of hopes for the season? Do you know what I mean? Like, are we now thinking we can do top four? We could maybe even get a cup. I don't know. What do do you think we can get? Do you think, Rosa, what do you think? Can we get top four? I think we could. I think the Liverpool game 
is a like it is a marker but at the same time we have often played really well in those big games so I would I've, yeah a sort of away game somewhere that will be a bit sort of stodgy and tough it would like that's that's almost not like a bigger marker but it, it will be one do you know what I mean like we can always kind of get ourselves up for those sort of Liverpool type encounters I mean always we haven't but the sort of, it, it will be can we get points on the board at those other places so if we can then yes top four is on um if we can't then then no and it'll just be a kind of another season trying to like get things together and see what we do next year I think this week would have been tons more instructive had we had the Leicester away game first, then the Liverpool games. I think those two together would have provided a real litmus test for the progress that we've made under Conte so far. You know, perhaps all that's out the window had we played because if they would have been weird, funky teams with no centre-backs and 15-year-olds playing and all that kind of stuff. But I think once we start getting back into those sort of fixtures, yeah, I think that's going to be the test. Um Ash, can we make top four? And what's concerning you about Spurs going into the new year, if anything? Uh, we're definitely going to get top four. Like, and I, I'm not giving up on top four at all. Um, and that's like my minimum expectation by the season. And I also think like, oh, wow. Ro- I think like Rose is like right about Chelsea away. Is it Chelsea away or at home? I think away. it's away. But like, yeah, but like, I think there's if like one man's going to win at Chelsea away, it's going to be Conte, and he hates Chelsea. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like my hopes are like really high, and and I guess my like link to that and to what Billy said in that we we have to keep fans in the stadium because if they lock off like people coming in, I think like Levy the board are going to like think twice about who we buy, and I think it's crucial now that like we give like Conte whatever he wants. And like back him, um, and if we do that, yeah, we can get top four. Like, if he's making like Harry Winks and like Eric Dyer play like that, then anything's possible. So, yeah, like top four is like very much on. I think like Arsenal are like very overrated. I think like West Ham are like falling off. United, I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I think it's on. I really believe it. This is what we want to hear, um, Tom, Billy. You guys, top four, yes or no? I think so, especially if we strengthen in January. But I think I'm just struggling to see past Chelsea and Arsenal because those first the games under Nuno against Chelsea and Arsenal were just like, we've all still got PTSD from them, I think. They were so brutal. that And that run of games that also included West Ham and the Crystal Palace, the, all those London derbies, I've just got to get through those games first. But I, I think... I think top four could be on. I hope Ash is right. Yeah, yeah, I totally think so. Um, I think it will have to rely on Kane coming into form like for at least a stretch of like five, six, seven or eight games. Um, I don't think we're going to get top four without Kane scoring a lot more goals than he's scoring now, but we've come this far um, and we've got a decent gap ahead of Man United who I do think are a worry. Now they've got a, you know, what appears to be an all right manager. So um, my biggest worry for top four would be Man United rather than Arsenal and West Ham, but we've got a gap on them and we're playing well. So I think it's on, it's on. Yeah, I agree. I agree that it's definitely um, between us and United, but we do have the better manager. So that gives us an edge in that way, for sure. I think it's happening, guys. I feel like there is enough sort of positive manifestation happening here. I mean, Ash is basically like assuring us that it's on and it's happened. So I'm, I'm taking it as a given. 
let's now get to our year-end questions. So we're going to sort of take a, a nice lean back and survey the awful wreckage of what 2021 has brought us. But, you know, there were some good bits as well. Um, the first question I'm asking of everyone is to give me your moment of 2021, your Tottenham Hotspur moment of 2021. Um, this can be good or bad, just the most sort of defining moment, I suppose, of our of our club's year. Um, Billy, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, so it's kind of like a couple of different moments all rolled into one. It is the uh, Mora and Bergwijn sub in the Man United game, which led to Antonio Conte. Um, I think that's like such a surreal moment because, like, when you look back on it now, like, how was Nuno our manager? Like, what was going on there? It's such a strange period to look back on. Like, what was anyone thinking doing that? And what was he thinking? Like, he seemed to hate it just as much as anyone else. It's like a once in a lifetime job for him. Um, but I don't think you could like ever predict that it would all come down to one substitution and it did like i feel i don't think that's an exaggeration to say that if that sub hadn't been made and that fan reaction hadn't happened um then he might not have been sacked but i think the sort of visceral reaction from like literally the whole stadium was what would have tipped it over the edge i think paratici walked down the tunnels soon after and was you know, you, you can now imagine probably straight on the phone to Conte. Um, I've been on such a weird journey of Conte. Like I was, when we were first linked with him a couple of years ago, I was so excited um, and I stupidly got my hopes up that he was going to join us after he left Inter. And when he didn't come, I was absolutely devastated because it kind of felt like everything we could want as a manager was like there in front of us and we didn't take it. So the fact that now we've got him again and he is starting to do the things we were hoping he was going to do, it's just amazing. And I still wake up on days and I forget he's our manager and I remember it again. It just makes me so happy like that this man is our actual manager, especially when you look at some of the fallouts that have happened since we appointed him and the clubs around us that could be sort of have swapped to, you know, worse managers and, you know, clubs like Barcelona and all these clubs are sort of, in, you know, even PSG are sort of changing their managers and looking to change their managers in Man United. And we've got Conte and it's just the best feeling and it's really sort of reinvigorated my whole love for the football club again. So my moment is definitely like Conte. I just, you know, it feels like a dream still. It really does. I am um, weirdly. I I was thinking about Everton the other day, um, and the fact that they're now just completely stuck with Benitez. Like all the good managers have gone, and they just have to like stick with this universally loathed figure playing football that belongs, you know, from ten years ago. And that could like that could have been so easily us had that substitution not happened. I honestly feel like had Billy's completely right. Had that that primal response from the crowd not happened to that one substitution, we could have sort of stumbled along for another couple of weeks, another couple of games, and seen every credible manager get hoovered up um, and be stuck like in this weird holding pattern for potentially you know the full season or whatever. So. It's remarkable. I, I too, I mean, it's, it's reasonably well documented on this podcast that I uh, I do just log on to like get images and just search for Antonio Conte photos and just, I just can't believe he's there in sort of garish Spurs Nike training gear shouting at Gary Dirty. I just can't believe that like this is our reality and I love it so much. Um, Rosa, before I get carried away, what's your moment of the year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think just to kind of carry on from what you're both saying really is I think the part of the sort of weirdness about it is that we're we're just sort of we're traditionally like the bad timing club aren't we 
you know, we had we played the the had we played the way we played the season after Leicester won the league, like if we that season we'd have won the league. If we had, you know, not come up against a completely like imperious Liverpool in the Champions League final, who knows what might have happened. If we hadn't built this ridiculous stadium and then COVID hit so no one could go. And it feels like we finally done the right thing at the right time. And that's why I think it all still feels a bit like a dream because how how has it happened that our club has made the right decision at exactly the right moment when it was either when it was properly like now or never it could like we could have we could have been Everton you're totally right so there's sort of no there's no kind of gainsaying that moment really I don't think for me probably one of the the most Spurs moments of the season was that ridiculous day when we sacked Jose Mourinho right before the one game he should have been in charge for which was ridiculous and then to kind of make everyone especially me feel better brought in Ryan Mason so he could you know lead his boyhood club out on the you know out at Wembley for the League Cup final which we you know obviously then lost because we're not allowed nice things like that at the time I just remember thinking nobody at this club knows what they're doing they just don't know what they're doing I give up I just can't I don't understand any of the decisions they make I'm stuck with this stupid club but I just I'm I've, I've given up trying to fathom what they're doing and so from that to now they've made like exactly the right decision and you know again brought on Ryan Mason to make me feel better about everything it's just perfect really so kind of two ridiculous moments I guess one shocking as per Spurs and one amazing um, I love them both for different reasons. Um, Billy, were you going to uh, add something to Rose's? Uh... Yeah, if I remember rightly, I think I'm getting this right. I think the same day that Jose got sacked was the same day the whole Super League thing happened. If I remember rightly, I'm pretty sure that was all like one weird day where we were like front page news and everything. And then we sacked him, we got Mason and we got the Super League all in one. It was just such a weird couple of days for being a Spurs fan. It was like everything happening all at once. And that, I kind of guess that kind of goes back onto what Rose was saying about the timing thing. Like everything we do is such weirdly timed. Um, and then, you know, as Rose also said, we got it right for once. So, yeah. So, yeah, that was such a weird day that, that day that Mourinho finally left. I was, um, I don't know if this is, I mean, I think, I think Conte is probably most people's sort of moment of the year, but I definitely felt um, going back to Mason when we won that. And obviously, you know, people will define that mini era by the league cup final defeat but the fact that he did get to win his first game and we were so terrible in that first like 60 minutes against um against Southampton and then for him to win and become I think he I think he became the the youngest ever match winning Premier League manager for for Sonny to score a last minute penalty and for him to win a match he obviously won a couple more, but that was that was a really nice moment, I thought. Ash, what was your moment of the year? I think Spurs just acting like a big club for once. So there are a few moments where they did it. Like people won't agree with me, but like the first one was like the Super League. Um getting Paratici in felt really important and big. And then obviously just like getting rid of Nuno, like just accepting that it was an error and just like getting rid of him. Um so those things felt important because I always thought we were like we pretend to act like a big club and it kind of finally felt that we were like doing it for once, um, which bodes really well for the future. Um, so they, those are probably my, my moments of the year. O- obviously like the Conte thing aside, because that is 
out yeah. front in number one. But yeah. Tom? I think just having fans back it is my is my moment of the year. It was so, so depressing watching football. I mean, we had nothing to keep us going. So we all watched, I watched t- so much, probably more football than ever through all the lockdowns with no fans in the stadium because um, you needed something to distract you. But it was so depressing either listening with uh, with no fan noise and suddenly football seeming unimportant and insignificant because no one was there to care or listening with the fake crowd noise and thinking this is just so fucking wrong that we're we're listening to this fake crowd noise the broadcasters are pumping in fake crowd noise to distract us from this dystopian nightmare and I really hope it was like a real wake-up call to the Premier League and to you know the clubs themselves that football is all about the fans. I don't know if we've seen evidence of that yet, but they hope, yeah, hopefully they took something from that because, yeah, it was awful. So having fans back, sadly, the one game, uh, one of the few games I've missed since fans were allowed back was the Man City game. I won decent performance under Nuno. I was away, uh, but I was back there for Watford and it was a really boring game. I think a 1-0 with a Sonny goal. Uh, kind of typical of, of the Nuno era and that the football was pretty awful. But yeah, having fans back, it was just like such a relief. And yeah, fingers crossed it. It doesn't happen. doesn't happen again. Oh man, I hope not. I really hope not. Um, we asked uh, our Twitter followers for some of their moments. Um, I, I want to call a few out. Um, Lucas being subbed off for Bergwijn came up a lot, as you can imagine. Um, at DJ Steve McGrath, at uh, Beck D, Becky, um, at Dan Rogers 77, um, at Konak Do, at THFC Jack underscore, and tons of other people called that out. Um, at Jay Stevens 123 called out um, Harry Kane's goal against Palace at home, which um, sort of dovetails with the other thing that I was going to shout out was that brief purple patch that Bale had when suddenly it felt like maybe. Bale's going to like lead us to Europa League glory or we're going to actually do something with him here and it's going to be amazing. Um, and he and, and watching him and Kane together and assisting each other and scoring incredible goals on the same pitch and in a Tottenham shirt together just for, a, what was it, like three weeks or something just felt pretty magical during a pretty bleak time. What else have we got here? We've got um, at Caroline Stefko. She refuses to pick one, but she shouts out uh, Lamella's Ramona, Rabona rather, against Arsenal, even knowing what came after. Um, Mason becoming the youngest manager to win a Premier League match was a cool moment. Sonny's goal against City, Spurs women's draw against Arsenal, and we should definitely shout out what's been a, a really huge year for, for Spurs women. They obviously ended their 2021 on the weekend with a very well-deserved 1-0 win over a decent Everton team. First time, I believe, that we've beaten Everton. Um, so that's a pretty landmark result. Jessica Naz, if you've not seen it, scored an absolute beauty of a goal. Um, I very much hope that she's getting towards the sort of periphery of England reckoning. She's starting to turn up every week and looks a real superstar. Um, at Ross Savage 11, um, selected the doors and Ledley drinking drinking beer in the stadium moment, which was a bit of a light relief for everyone, I think. Uh, at Jody Thunders 1, Tanganga pocketing Man City. A few people called out that first game of the season. Obviously, Sonny's goal, but 
yeah, Jaffet putting in that sort of man of the match performance was a really lovely thing. That game also led at ex Alex THFC to call out the crowd chanting, um, Are you watching Harry Kane? <laughs> which was a fairly sort of dark moment, but actually pretty amazing at the time. Um, quite a few people, including uh, at Grove underscore Digger, um, Rich, he calls out Mourinho going. Um, that was obviously a big moment for a lot of us. Uh, ketchup and mayonnaise ban came up a few times. Um, at Nylon Doty, getting two gratifying sack days in one year. Felt pretty exciting compared to what was going on on the pitch on both occasions, plus the fleeting moment in early spring when the real Gareth Bale turned up. Um, and then finally, at last, Lily White uh, shouts out, simply becoming a Spurs fan. Um, what a remarkable year to decide to follow this football club. Um, commiseration. I need to know and, more about that. I think, I think yeah. we, need the, we need the origin story of that one. Oh, my God. Why, why would you do it? <laughs> um, yeah. If, yeah, if you're listening at Lost Lily White, um, we're going to need to know more. Rose is going to need to know more. Um, my second question, uh, your player of 2021. Um, again, we asked, in fact, I'll do the grand announcement of our Twitter poll after we've all given ours. Um, Tom, who's your player of the season, not player of the season, player of the year, player of 2021? Uh, there's an obvious one we're all in love with, but um, I th- I'm going to say Hugo because he had another excellent um game against Liverpool. I think he went through a toughish patch by, by his standards. Um, his form definitely dipped a bit, but this year he's been at his brilliant best. He's an amazing leader on the pitch. He's not even much younger than me. I could still, I could be playing. No, I couldn't. Um, but uh, I think, I think he turns 35 this week, but Conte likes experience, like sign him up for another couple of years I think we need to think about a succession plan, but uh, yeah, Hugo is such a such a dude and so reliable and calm and just makes you know at least a couple of incredible saves week in week out. Um, I'm kind of hoping that this is the season that he does win Player of the Season because I don't think he's ever won it at Tottenham, and I think what is this his tenth year? It'd be a really nice thing for him to. Um, to finally get that but fingers crossed it won't be a farewell thing and like Tom says he's he's going to get a new contract um, Billy who's your player of the year yeah I think um, it's one of those things the answer to this question has changed quite dramatically since Conte like the sort of the players that are involved in the sort of running um, I think if you look at the Nuno and Conte parts of 2021 I think the only two players I would say that have been good for both of them for the whole time are Lloris and Skip but I think the fact that Skip Spent most of 2021 at a different club at Norwich. You know, by all accounts, he had a really good season there as well. Kind of rules him out. So I'm going to have to go Hugo as well. Um, I think Son, like, is now, as I'm sure we're going to talk about in a second, like the symbol of Tottenham. Like, he has become the face of our club, which when we had Harry Kane being that for so long, and it's kind of been taken away by the whole China Kane saga that was also in 2021. um, I think Son has done an incredible job stepping up to that, and he seems like he's sort of thriving on it. Um, I think there's been a couple of dips in form for Son, whereas Hugo has consistently, I can't really, off the top of my head, remember him having a bad game in 2021 for like literally every single time that he's played. Um, So I think it's really, really close between Son and Hugo. Um, I'm going to go Hugo just because... It's been like consistently like eight out of ten for a whole solid year. Whereas Son has been, I think Son's highs have been a lot higher. He's had a lot of ten out of ten games, but Hugo's just been eight out of ten like the whole season. So I'm gonna go Hugo as well. 
Um, Rosa, yours? Yeah, I'm just like nodding vehemently because, yeah, Hugo is my player of the year as well. And I think that's also another moment of the year for me when he um, spoke after the um, Prague game and basically said, this isn't good enough, we're a shambles. And it was just one of those moments where you sort of kind of sharp intake of breath because you couldn't believe a professional, you know, a media trained professional was actually just kind of coming out and saying all of the stuff that, you know, we all knew and wanted somebody to say, but he took responsibility and he said it. Um, I just think he's he's been just amazing, hasn't he? And I don't really want to imagine um, Spurs without him. So, yeah, I think it would be fantastic if we did get player of the season this year. Um, I think... It, like richly deserved frankly we've had so many kind of rubbish goalkeepers over the years I can't believe we've had this like amazing man like leading us for nearly 10 years it kind of makes me feel a bit emotional just thinking about it don't ever leave (laughs) us Hugo please (laughs) I keep daydreaming that perhaps because his birthday's on boxing day I think that they'll announce his new contract on his birthday as a sort of late Christmas present for everyone um if you're listening, Tottenham Hotspur suits. There's there's what you should do to give us a little much deserved Christmas present. Um, Ash, your player of 2021. I'm going to go Hugo as well for all the reasons stated. Um, he's just been amazing all year, and really proud to have him as captain. Um, the other person, I mean, he's dead to me now, but I have to mention Kane, and I I know he's been really poor like this season, but. I looked back at the fixtures earlier before we were recording and just looked at who the scorers were, like from sort of January until the end of the season. And I think we forget sometimes because his level is so high, how good he is. And he just kept scoring and he like kept us alive, like for like that second half of like the season when like everything seemed to be going wrong. So I think he does have to be in the conversation, even though he's not a popular figure at the moment. Um, yeah, he's he is world class, and I think we're starting to see starting to see the old Kane again, which is going to be really exciting and a, a reason why we're going to get top four. Um, see assists as well, right? Didn't he get like yeah. he, he got the golden boot and whatever it is you get for the most amount of assists? Yeah, exactly. he, you're right, Ash. Yeah. We really, you know, we do forget it because we sort of have to forget, don't we? Because <laughs> it's been like so upsetting. <laughs> but you never know. Yeah, do you know you what? To protect like, yourself. Exactly. But, you know, hat-trick on Boxing Day and that's it. Player of the year again. Yeah, it's it's a long it's a long rest of the season. He's got plenty of time to turn it around. Um, I am going to... I'm going to shout out Sonny. I think Sonny gets it for me. I think not even perhaps the, his performances on the pitch where I do think, by and large, he's been pretty outstanding. He's consistently scored. He's just been a menace pretty much every game he's played. But I think for me, it's more the fact that he signed that contract at a time when everything felt so bleak being a Spurs fan. We had the Kane stuff rumbling on. The manager search was in sort of stage four of whatever fast we were we were enduring. It was just an absolute like nightmare being Tottenham Hotspur at that point in time. And I felt like he was such, him committing to the club in the way that he did was such a shot in the arm. And it gave me such a, well, do you know what? If Sonny's around, that gives us something. That gives us one beacon of smiley joy and hope still with this tawdry mess of a, of a club that we support. So almost for that reason alone, um, 
he's also my three-year-old's like reason for vaguely being interested in football and for that I will be forever thankful to him um and uh yeah so Sonny gets it for me pretty much or over half of the people who voted in our poll um at the time of recording um 1,339 people voted and Sonny streaking ahead with 56.1% of the vote. Um, Hugo Lloris, 33.9%. Harry Kane, um, a pitiful 6.3%. And uh, other players, um, 3.7%. Um, a couple of the other players that were mentioned, um, as Billy sort of called out, Skip got a couple of shouts. Um Eric Lamella got a couple, but I think those were comedy ones. Um, and uh, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg got quite a few shout-outs as well, my boy Pierre. Um, and Eric Dyer, I think obviously this is sort of perhaps some recency bias raising its head, but we should not overlook the, as um, at Tony Carvery Esquire shouts out, uh, Eric has definitely undergone a glow-up of the year. Um, I think it's without a doubt I mean, Conte today was talking about him having everything in his locker to become one of the best in the world in his position, which I'm sure is part motivational manager genius in trying to get an extra level out of uh, a player playing in such top form. But I mean, it seems to just that position in the middle of a back three seems to just fit him like a glove. And I'm so excited about Eric Dyer's uh turnaround it's it's one of the feel-good stories of the Tottenham year I think for sure as he's such a good guy I think everyone's been rooting for him um to sort of have this lovely set of circumstances all finally goes away um right moving away from Spurs we're going to shout out some of our cultural highlights of the year our standout cultural highlights of the year um music so who wants to go first Billy, you can go first. What's your music moment of the year? Album, song, artist, etc. Yeah, um, I've got a couple of honourable mentions first. I think um, uh, T-Shirts had a really good year. I think some a couple of producers I just want to shout out, uh, like Jaden Thompson, uh, Logic 1000 and Anne's, who's had a number of really, really good releases. I think the song of the year has been You and McVicker Tell Me Something Good, which is like seems to have like transcended club culture and gone mainstream in the charts and all sorts. If you haven't heard that, check that out. It's such an incredibly feel-good song. Um, and I think it's sort of taken on a new life of popularity and I think it's just made its way into the charts, um, which is always good to see when you see like a producer, I think he's just a young DJ from Scotland who sort of somehow ended up on going viral um, that's a really, really good song. So tell me something good by you and McVicker. Um, but my music moment of the year has got to be Dave, All Alone This Together. I think Psychodrama was one of my favourite albums of the year when it came out. Um, and you're kind of wondering how he can top that. Um, but I think his second album has been equally as good, if not better. Um, and I just think you're sort of realising with Dave, like one of the biggest talents we've ever produced in England. Um, and I think you're sort of seeing the promise that he showed in his early career really coming to light. So um, I think his album is incredible. So definitely shout out to Dave. Rosa, yours? Yeah, I think for me, um, I think the Pink Panther and Cleo Soul records were my absolute favourites just for different reasons and kind of different moods. But I just, I don't know that... <laughs> I like just really, really love those two young women just kind of going out and just like doing their best thing and living their best lives. I'm super impressed and I love everything about both of them. So those two, yeah. 
nice answers um ash um i can't pick one but the tyler creator album is amazing so that's definitely up there um so uh which inflow produced he also produced a clear album and a few tracks on the dell and then the sims album is very good as well and she definitely deserves a shout because she's had an amazing year so it's mm. a toss-up between those three um I'm, I think we need to, uh, there's no kind of rose of side eye for these multiple selections for this. It's too difficult. Uh, so we're, we're fine with this. Tom, your multiple selections? Yeah, uh, I could go for ages, but I just want to mention probably my two favourite and two most played songs of the year, uh, which are very different and just sum up my music taste. Uh, I'm very much a sort of teenage girl at heart. So I loved um, Olivia Rodrigo's Good For You uh, just one of the most perfect pop songs in ages and my my five-year-old loves it but I probably love it more than her if I'm honest so good three minutes of like brilliant amazing pop and then um, over mono in a very different way over Mono's sort of house roller so you know uh, is yeah one of my favorite house records in ages and I think is just shows how strong the uh, electronic music scene is in this country at the moment as billy just touched on as well very nice um i'm actually just going to shout out one album which is by far and away my album of the year that's the um uh, eponymous album by for those i love which is the pseudonym of the dublin artist david balf um it's a really challenging record it was um recorded in response to the death of his best friend um, Paul Curran, um, another Irish, um, incredibly talented artist. Um, and it's just one of those records that stayed with me, both musically in terms of what it's saying, in terms of how it led me back to friendships and relationships in my life that I've either left kind of ungardened and needed to do better in or it's made me see other relationships that perhaps were a bit toxic that I needed to address and also whilst just being this incredibly compelling sort of club album with amazing music that you could absolutely see yourself just losing your mind to in a festival tent um it's remarkable and I thoroughly recommend everyone to give it a proper sort of headphones listen to the whole thing all the way through absolutely amazing um i love that album let's move on before i uh get weirdly intense even more than i am so normally um tv your tv picks tom let's start with you for this one uh first obvious again this is recency bias but um the strictly final was just wonderful uh joe and johannes uh rose and geo you know, just a, it was a great season of Strictly. And I think on paper, like every season, I'm like, oh, these celebrities are a bit underwhelming. But it was just such a great standard of dancing. And the final was wonderful. And Rose was a brilliant winner. Uh, and then I was just like, I realised, I did a brief list and realised li I'd watched so many amazing half-hour comedies like Stathlet's Flats and We Are Lady Parts was really good. Um, but I'm going to mention sex education because it sits somewhere between comedy and drama. It, I think if it was on like Channel 4, 
people wouldn't stop talking about it, but because it's on Netflix and it's dumped among a million things on Netflix, but it's genuinely very funny, um, very touching and kind of beautifully acted and told um, sex education. So there's three series and it, every series has been really good. If you haven't seen it, it's all on Netflix. Nice. Yeah, I would say the third season is the best um, by far. And I feel like if I had a teenage son or daughter i would want them to sort of i watch that and have that as a sort of guide and i think it's it's that good and sort of responsibly done i think it's, it's excellent um billy your tv show of the year yeah again there's too much to choose from i'm just going to shout out a couple of tv shows um which was two of which i'm watching at the moment actually like dope stick i'm still watching right now which is amazing um but also thoroughly like depressing because it's actually all everything that you see is true and that's you kind of think how the hell could that happen but it is um i've really liked all the marvel shows we had like uh wandavision loki which is my favorite of all of them um falcon the winter soldier and also hawkeye which i'm currently still watching just got one episode to come which is tomorrow and that the last few episodes of that have just been absolutely brilliant um one which i know we're going to talk about in a minute is succession obviously is well up there and probably the best thing on tv to be honest but I'm going to go for Mayor of Easttown just because of Kate Winslet and how incredible she was in that. Um, that was probably alongside Succession, which is so good that you almost feel bad choosing it. Um, Mayor of Easttown has been my favourite thing this year. Um, I was torn between Mayor of Easttown and Succession, and I'm going to go for Succession just because I feel like someone needs to shout it out. And I was thinking long and hard about whether or not it qualifies as the best because obviously there's been a ton of discussion about whether this season has matched up to previous seasons, um, whether there was a sort of significant mid-season dip where not tons was actually happening. But I can't get past the fact that no show has kind of occupied so much brain space of mine during the week. No show occupies more text messages to friends or heated WhatsApp sort of debate. No show makes me literally get my phone out and the notes app and agitate my wife by having to pause it constantly to literally note down funny things that I can then wheel out when chatting to friends so I think for that reason alone it probably is my show of the year because it's just meant the most to me and in my interactions regarding television with my with my friends and even people that probably aren't my friends um, and I just think that finale was just extraordinary TV and I feel quite ashamed that we didn't immediately all jump on a podcast to sort of talk about that for about three and a half hours because there was so much incredible stuff to talk through be it performances the the cinematography i thought was just extraordinary through that episode the wardrobe everything was just absolutely out of the top drawer of tv making and i yeah, I'm still thinking about it now. And I know, Rosa, you were saying, like, you're not over it. And it's therefore very difficult to, like, even watch anything else because you're still just, like, preoccupied by that finale so much. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because I actually, I did I did spend a lot of time up to the finale talking about it on, very, you know, WhatsApp messages and all that. But actually, after the finale, like, I, I actually like didn't I, I couldn't and I spent like I couldn't get to sleep that night and and I spent like most of the next week thinking about it because I actually 
like I hated the finale. I hated it. And that's not to say that it wasn't a completely brilliant hour of the television because it was that I can't, I can't fault it in any of its execution. It, everything throughout the season had like quite clearly led up to it. It was brilliantly written, brilliantly acted, but like I, but ultimately every fiber of my being just sort of revolted against it. And I had to spend quite a lot of time thinking about it. And I think for in, me, in what way can I ask in what way? Because I think what it is, is that I despise Logan Roy and I think he's a monster. And I know there are people out there who are like, who kind of want him to win or whatever, I don't know. But I think, because it is a show about terrible people, the thing that keeps you watching, or at least has always kept me watching, is that they're actually very, they're, they're very real in a way. And the reality of that is the kind of family relationships and there's something about that monster at the heart of it no matter how terrible his children are or even actually you know you know what it's both of them it's both the parents and I think the finale made that pretty clear that sort of awful phone call where she just kind of vaguely says oh you know I think this is best and I'm just too tired and I don't want to talk about it anymore and that to me was so kind of horrifically recognizable really that you know and Shiv was obviously being you know, she said, you've just slit our throats. But actually, emotionally, that was completely true. And so there was something about watching these sort of pair, these parents who created these children, these sort of monstrous children, then kind of turn around and say, you're even, you're my children and I have made you in my image, but you're disgusting and I want to murder you effectively. I'm, I, I, like, I couldn't cope with it at all. I found it just too, too, too upsetting and I will watch the next season, but I just, honestly, there's a part of me that's like, I don't know if that's the show for me, really. I don't know. So I'm going to, as brilliant as it was, I can't fault it, but I also, I, I couldn't stand it. I found it so, so, so stressful and I feel sort of traumatised by it still. So my show of the year is really the polar opposite, which is the lovely Ted Lasso. And that's, you know, a place where I'm just much happier. And I think, and even though I think that show, I think, Ted Lasso was also prepared to go to some quite dark places this season. Um, it kind of did so in a way that sort of still gave you, you know, hope for humanity, really. <laughs> so I just, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of rambling now because I just obviously was extremely stressed out. And so I've gone back to my sort of happy place, basically, where it's, you know, clear eyes, full hearts, believe. <laughs> No, 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 that's incredibly interesting. Um, and I wonder if anyone else had a similarly sort of honest response. We all had honest, honest responses to, to the final episode. But Ash, how did you feel watching the final episode? It's the only show that makes me actually put my phone down and pay attention to like what's happening. So, but yeah, I, I had this similar reactions like Rosa, but I just couldn't stop talking about it for days and like reading every opinion piece and listen to like every podcast about it. Um, and the Jeremy Strong piece, I think it's in like the New Yorker or Atlantic, is just incredible. And if anyone hasn't read it, they should read it. It's just, he takes like method acting to a very extreme Daniel Day-Lewis level. Um, but yeah, the, the ending was crazy. I don't know. I don't know. I almost feel like I don't want to ruin it for, for anyone, but like, yeah, it was just nuts and I can't stop thinking about it. Um, I feel like the... Uh, the window for spoilers is very firmly shut now. It's, it's, it's your problem <laughs> if you've not seen it. Um, what was your show of the year, Ash? Definitely Succession, but I picked um, Can't Get You Out of My Head, which is the Adam Curtis doc. I think it was on BBC. 
I had to check like if that was even this year because the past year has been so long. But um, yeah, it, it was this year. Um, but yes, yeah, an amazing doc and worth checking out. I think it's probably still an eye player. I've I've not seen that, so I'm definitely going to check that out over Christmas because I know you've been raving about it. Um, films, guys. Uh, I know films are slightly contentious with uh, a couple of us uh, in our group, but Billy is someone for whom films are not contentious because Billy, talk to us about your extraordinary film watching because I didn't. I feel like I know you pretty well, and I didn't know the extent to which you are such an incredible film buff. Yeah, I mean, I, like I, I try and see every single film that comes out because I've got my unlimited card. I mean, can we just think... can we just back up a second? That in itself is one of the most <laughs> remarkable things anyone said to me all year. You try to watch every film that comes out. How you've got a small child? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, it's like it's one of those things where it's like. I try and watch everything um, and I've I had a really good run of it until like the last few weeks just because school has been mad. So I haven't been able to get and see everything. Um, but I think I've seen 115 films this year because I, I literally just downloaded Letterboxd just so I could like keep track of everything. Um, I managed, I think it's been a really good year for like, all the Oscars films. I had like an Oscars list on my phone. I managed to watch all, every single film that was nominated for every single category. Um, and yeah, so I do try and see every single film if I can. Um, you know, with the exception of a few, like, I don't go and see, like, the kids' films. I'm not going to go and use my unlimited card to go and see, like, Paw Patrol. Probably be quickly evacuated from the cinema, so I'm not going to do that. But I do try and see every single film. Um, I think it's been a really, really strong year for film. The Oscars this year, obviously, it kind of was one of the, it was a weird thing because everyone was kind of expecting Chadwick Boseman to win Best Actor, and then he didn't win. And it went, they kind of put that award last for like the first time ever. I don't know if you remember back when the Oscars was at the beginning of the year, they put that award last because I think everyone was expecting Chadwick Boseman to win. And then uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins won, and she is amazing in The Father, but um, that was a weird moment because I'm pretty sure they switched the order of that award for the first time ever. And then Chadwick Boseman didn't end up winning it. So that's weird, but they, they pretty much got everything else spot on. So I think like, there's been some amazing films like Sound of Metal was an incredible film. Uh, Minari, Judas and the Black Messiah, um later on this year we've had june which i thought was absolutely brilliant last week on wednesday i went to see spider-man no way home which is not the best film i've seen in the cinema but it's the best experience i've had in the cinema like i hate like the americanization of going to the cinema and like everyone was cheering and like whooping and normally that would make me want to leave but i was because i'm such a big spider-man fan i was getting involved so that was incredible especially because like we've had cinemas taken away it's very similar to like parallels of football we've had it taken away from us and now we're back in cinemas and again it might be something that's about to go again so watching spider-man no way home was incredible um but my film of the year is another rounds which won best foreign film at the oscars um it's a danish film it's about these four it's kind of like um one of those films which you can kind of see your own life and it's about these four teachers that decide that um they're going to start drinking a little bit of alcohol every single day and like the impact that it has on their lives and it is just so feel good obviously it does eventually turn into spiral into out of control and it do, you do see like the negative effects of alcohol but there are so many good feel good moments and it has an incredible ending and Mads Mikkelsen is absolutely brilliant in it so yeah my film of the year is definitely another round I seriously recommend anyone check it out um particularly if you're, you're not too familiar with like Danish cinema because it's on a real upsurge at the moment got some really really good directors so i would highly recommend you start with another round which is a brilliant film um i worry that none of us can have any sort of opinion that carries the same weight as uh billy i see every film released every single year t but 
Um, Rosa, was there a film that you loved especially this year? You know what, there isn't because I've literally only seen about three, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I used to, I, I, would, I never saw as many films as Billy, but I, I did used to go quite a lot. And then I had small children and then COVID happened. So I've been to the cinema once this year, which was to see June, which I liked but didn't love. So, and I think the, what else have I seen? I've seen like Black Widow and Shang-Chi and I think, and that's it. And like Billy, I'm a Marvel fan, but I'm also, I was meant to be going to see Spider-Man this week and I've decided not to because of COVID. So I just haven't had any of that experience. Um, Just weirdly, I've seen the end to another round because there's like, because of what happens at the end. Yeah, so that it does not, it's not really a spoiler. I don't, it won't have ruined it for me, but it is beautiful. Um, but there is a really lovely interview with Mads Mikkelsen in, I think, Vulture maybe, um, where he talks about the experience of making that film and what had happened to the director during that. Um, which is also like if you've seen that movie, it's also worth reading that interview. So, like, no film recommendations, but an interview recommendation from me. Um, yeah. Ash has asked to be um, excused from this round. Uh, he's now going to forever be the sort of Michael Owen of our group. Uh, hates films. Ash, is that fair? No, I, I love films. I just can't, I rarely watch films because I don't have the attention span. And I can't think of a single film I've seen this year. Yeah, I, I actually I saw that Sopranos um, prequel thing in the cinema, which was like fine. It was cool, but I wouldn't like put it as my film of the year. For you're, sure. gonna, you're gonna, I'm afraid you're gonna have to, as it's the only film fine. you've seen. That's, that's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom, have you seen more than one film this year? <laughs> I think I've seen quite a few films this year, but weirdly, I'm gonna pick something. Well, Bo Burnham Inside on Netflix is a film. It's so kind of it's a comedy show. It's a musical, uh, and it's a film about COVID and being locked down. Um, but yeah, and it's a one man show as well. It's written, produced, shot, lit, edited. The songs are written by all by uh, by Burnham, uh, and it's just amazing. It, like it's probably my most listened to album as well, and I'm it very much takes influence from musicals and he's he's clearly a big musical fan he's a big south park fan i would say um there is influence of taylor swift and drake and kanye and modern pop music but that show is a weird trip inside our own minds and inside bo burnham's mind and it's also hilarious like it is so so funny and there but there are lines that will kind of deeply affect you in some of the songs as well. And the what you see in the film, him experiencing lockdown, turning 30, having an existential crisis, uh, it's very familiar and affecting and very, very funny at the same time. So I would recommend Bo Burnham Inside. And it's 90 minutes. It's 90 minutes, which we all know is the ideal <laughs> optimum length for a film. It's going to become like a real document of these times, isn't it? I think it's going to be quite a harrowing watch for those of us that have lived through COVID and everything in a few years. It's um, very dark and yet very mm, ja jaunty and sort yeah. of uh, the, we have in-car sing-alongs to the, to the album, but it's also really dark uh, yeah, and strange and 
yeah introverted yeah it's, it's got you've got to watch it it's kind yeah. of almost can't be explained on a similar tip i can't think why a groundhog day style black comedy uh, resonated with me so strong this year but i'm going to pick palm springs with um andy sandberg uh kristin Malotti, and bad jj simmons i feel like jj simmons when he's being like mean is like one of the greatest actors in the world when he's all cuddly and nice i'm not interested but he's a bit he's a bit of a maniac in this film so he 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 ticks my desire to see jj uh, simmons be terrifying um it's about a couple that are trapped in the same day at a wedding in Palm Springs. Um, it's just very, very funny. And I think, again, just spoke to the situation that we were living through at the time. Fairly certain it came out during one of the lockdowns. I certainly watched it during a lockdown. Um, and yeah, again, who knows why that spoke to me so clearly, but it's really funny. I really, really liked it. Um, I'm going to have a sort of uh, open rounds now. Um, mainly for Ash to uh, to shout out something that's not a film. Um, Ash, what else did you love this year? One thing I love, this is really random. I was like working really close to St. John's Wood for like six weeks. And I became really obsessed with this deli called Panzer's, which is like this old Jewish deli that's been there for like 70 years or something. And um, they just do the most incredible salt beef bagel. And like, I just recommend that everyone go and try this bagel. It's like seven pounds, seven or eight pounds. So it's like expensive for a bagel, but it's insane. And I end up just going there every day, like well out of my way just to eat a bagel uh, from Panzer. So yeah, go and go and eat that. And then I shouldn't shout out another podcast, but I've like become obsessed with this podcast called Throwing Fits, which is like these two sort of bros uh, from New York who just talk about clothes and just have like amazing guests on um and they're really funny and witty and yeah outside of this it's the best podcast obviously this is number one goes without saying yeah i mean there's no point having the best podcast um category uh anyone else has any other highlights and thanks ash i'm always looking for um salt beef bagel recommendations that's very exciting for me um billy any other anything else to shout out yeah speaking of um a podcast there's a really good podcast by tiga um called um last party on earth where he used to sort of get djs on to sort of talk about what they would have as their last party on earth as like a sort of imaginative thing but when it quickly became a reality that these djs might actually be playing their last party on earth because of covid it, i think they changed the name now to first party on earth and they talk about what they'll be playing when club and come back but it's kind of like if you're into dj culture it's incredible like he talks to these djs had back people like fortet carl cox has been on there and like bless madonna like some huge name djs like talking about their past as a dj um and the lineup they would put for their like first and last point on earth so i strongly recommend that podcast from tiga if you're in the dj culture at all it's incredible nice one um rosa tom anything else from you guys uh, yeah, I've got a couple of um, things to read. Um, a book I just read um, by the author Gwendolyn Riley. She's she's sort of the queen of writing these quite short novels that are usually about one or two people sort of trapped in slightly bleak, either depressing relationships or sort of difficult relationships with their parents. But within a sort of very short space of time, she she absolutely nails it, I think. Um, the one that she had out this year is called My Phantoms, which is essentially about this um, woman's relationship with her mother. And it's it's 
pretty depressing, but not too depressing, if I can recommend something like that. Um, the other thing on a more sort of cheerful note is I'm completely obsessed with um, a Substack. Um, Ask Polly. I've followed this woman, Heather Havlewski, from when she was the when she did her Ask Polly column for the cut I think it was for years um it's an advice column and I'm a super nosy person by nature so I love advice columns but hers is it's it's more than that really she writes really beautifully a lot of people write in and they're very sort of stuck in their lives um and then sometimes they'll just be an occasional sort of off the wall thing where someone will write in essentially saying my fiance's family is literally trying to poison me. So it's a good sort of mix of, you know, what are you going to do with your life to, oh my God, get out of this hellscape situation. So I love a little Substack. Um, if, actually, if anyone's got any Substack recommendations for me, that'd be great. Um, but that's mine for everyone else. Nice one. Um, Tom, to finish, any other recommendations for us? Well, it's not on anymore, but I really enjoyed the Paula Rego Red. Red Joe, she's Portuguese, so I don't know how you pronounce that. Uh, the, the, her exhibition at the Tate, uh, it was just really great to be back at a kind of blockbuster exhibition. And it wasn't, um, it got incredible reviews, but she wasn't someone I knew almost, I knew almost nothing about her when I went to the show. Um, I saw that and um, Sophie Talbar Arp at Tate this um this year and it was great to see female artists and like learn more about their their influence but that that paula rego show was especially good and i'm just would love to get to more um exhibitions next year because the lockdowns haven't really really allowed it but that one uh, in particular was was really stunning yeah Very nice. i saw that one and i i second that one as well she was absolutely incredible i think it was just I really loved to, I had like a couple of months where I was able to kind of get out and do a couple of things like go to an exhibition, go to theatre, go to see Forte at Brixton Academy. And I'm so glad I did all of that because I didn't know this was going to happen again. Yeah, shout out those Forte gigs as well. That one of my moments of the year, being back in a crowd, well, both being back yeah. in a and, crowd. And at Brixton as well, especially. And yeah. then, and at Brixton Academy. Um, and the, yeah, the, someone dropping over mono, so you know as well was <laughs> so so good. I think we all went. I think we all went to see Fortet in the same week at like various different nights. So that was like a friend of the show, Fortet. We will now call him. I think we have to. Yeah, he's definitely a uh, fr friend of a friend of the show. <laughs> um, that I think is a nice point to uh, say thank you to you all for those brilliant recommendations and. Um, heart pourings on Tottenham Hotspur 2021 um thank you to our team and thank you as well to everyone who's listened to us um since we launched the podcast a couple of months ago um we've been absolutely blown away by how many of you have listened and how wonderfully engaging you all are on social media we love chatting to everyone um and yeah, it's it's been a real pleasure for us. Um, the five of us are loving doing this. We're really excited about next year. We've got some brilliant guests lined up. Um, should I say as well, thank you to the guests that we've already had on the show. We've been bewildered by the fact that such incredible people have wanted to do it with us, but you have, and we are over the moon. So we are, like I said, super excited about next year. And we hope that 
you will carry on listening to us. Um, and that's our end of 21 roundup complete. Guys, like I said, thank you so much. Here's to 2022. Um, Spurs winning something. Top four is on. Uh, Billy, see us out, please. Up the Spurs. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.